Lesson 7 for August 10 to 16, Jesus and Those in Need, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, August 10. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Jesus came to this earth from you that each of us might have the opportunity of having eternal life. And as we read about this this week, as we read about the relationship between us and our families and, and Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us individually and as families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 4:18 and 19. Let's read that again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Among other reasons for his incarnation, Jesus came to show us what God is like. He did this by teaching, by his sacrifice, and by his life, that is, by how he interacted with ordinary people. Many of his actions made immediate real-world changes in the lives of others. This aspect of the Messiah's ministry has been predicted by the Old Testament prophets, by Jesus' mother Mary, and even by Jesus himself, when he defined his mission in his first recorded sermon in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 16 to 21. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In addition, the Gospel writers often used the language of the Old Testament prophets to explain what Jesus was doing as they narrated his story. In this way, Jesus' life was seen clearly in the tradition of these prophets, including their compassion for the poor and oppressed. The religious leaders, however, perceived Jesus as a threat. In a horrible example of injustice and cruelty, they had Jesus arrested, unjustly tried, and crucified. In Jesus, God knows what injustice feels like, and in his death, He exposed the horror of evil. In his resurrection, though, he triumphed for life, goodness, and salvation. This lesson is being recorded in Sydney. 
Australia. And in the background, because I'm recording it outside, you'll hear some birds, including doves and lorikeets. You may even hear a kookaburra later in the day. Sunday, August 11, Mary's Song Imagine the scene. Mary had received a message from the angel Gabriel just a few days earlier. He had told her that she was to be the mother of Jesus, the Son of the Most High. She has not yet told anyone, but goes to visit Elizabeth, her older relative, who also is expecting a miracle baby. With spiritual insight, Elizabeth recognises Mary's news before Mary has a chance to say anything, and together they celebrate the promises and goodness of God. Question. Read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Notice the mix of praise between what was meant only for her, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, in Luke one forty nine, to the much more general. Why should our praise and worship to God include both personal and general emphases? Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy." as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. This is a remarkable song that could fit well among the Psalms or in the writings of the Hebrew prophets. Mary is overflowing with a sense of wonder and gratitude to God. She has obviously seen God working in her own life, but she also is well aware of the larger implications of God's plan for her nation and for the human race. But, in Mary's understanding, not only is God powerful and praiseworthy, he also is merciful and seems to have a particular regard for the humble, the downtrodden, and the poor. The angel had barely left after announcing the good news of the impending birth to Mary before she was singing the following in verses 52 and 55. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble... He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Right at the beginning of the story of Jesus' life on earth, he is introduced as a ruler, as we see in verse 43. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? But as a ruler of a different kind of kingdom. 
As many commentators have described it, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to inaugurate and establish was to be an upside-down kingdom, when compared to the usual social ordering of the kingdoms of the world. In the descriptions we have of Jesus' kingdom, the powerful and wealthy of this world are the least, and the poor and oppressed are liberated, filled, and lifted up. And so to finish the day, if the church should be an expression of the kingdom of God, how well does the church do in modelling the upside-down kingdom that Mary described? How could something such as this be modelled? But, without being unfair to the rich and powerful as well, who also are recipients of God's love. Monday, August 12, Jesus' Mission Statement Whether it was the prescribed reading for the day, or whether Jesus intentionally found the relevant verses, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, in the scroll he was given to read, it was no coincidence that these verses were the text for his first public sermon. Let's read that. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes." Neither is it a coincidence that the story of Jesus' short sermon in Luke 4, verses 16 to 21, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, begins Luke's record of Jesus' public ministry. Verse 16 onwards in Luke chapter 4, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus seemed to be picking up the tune from Mary's song of an upside-down kingdom and beginning to put it into effect in his ministry. Jesus and Luke, in his retelling of Jesus' story, used the prophecy of Isaiah to explain what Jesus was doing and was about to do. But it also was another way of expressing what Mary had described 30 years earlier. The poor, the hurting, and the oppressed are the special focus and recipients of the good news that Jesus was bringing. Jesus adopted these verses from Isaiah 61 as his mission statement. His ministry and mission were to be both spiritual 
and practical, and he would demonstrate that the spiritual and practical are not as far apart as we sometimes assume. For Jesus and his disciples, caring for people physically and practically were at least part of caring for them spiritually. Question. Read and compare Luke four sixteen to twenty one and seven eighteen to twenty three. Why do you think Jesus answered in this way? How would you respond to similar questions about the divinity and messiahship of Jesus? Luke four sixteen to twenty one. We'll read that again. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Luke chapter 7 verses 18 through 23. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When Jesus sent out his disciples, the commission he gave to them also was in accord with this mission. While they were to announce that the kingdom of heaven was come near in Matthew 10.7, Jesus' further instructions to his disciples were to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give in verse 8. Their ministry in his name was to reflect and enact the values and principles of Jesus' ministry and the kingdom he invited people to. The disciples, too, were to join with Jesus in his mission to lift up the last, the least, and the lost. So to finish today, how do we balance this work with the crucial message of preaching the three angels' messages to a lost world as well? Why must all that we do be related in one way or another to the proclaiming of present truth?
Tuesday, August 13. Jesus Heals The Gospels are peppered with the stories of Jesus' miracles, particularly those of healing. As Isaiah had prophesied, he healed the blind and released those who had been held captive by disease, sometimes after many years of suffering. For example, in Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34, So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction." And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralysed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, others step down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made worse. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
But he did more than this. He made the lame walk again. He healed lepers, not just by word, but by touching them, unclean though they were. He confronted demons who were possessing people's minds and bodies. And he even raised the dead. We might expect these miracles to have been about attracting crowds and proving his powers to his many doubters and critics. But this was not always the case. Instead, often Jesus gave instructions to the person healed not to tell anyone about it. While it seems the just healed people were unlikely to follow these instructions and keep their wonderful news to themselves, Jesus was trying to show that his miracles were about something more significant than a spectacle. The ultimate goal, of course, was for the people to receive salvation in him. Yet the healing miracles of Jesus were an expression of his compassion. For example, in the lead-up to the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew narrates in Matthew 14.14, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus felt the pain of those who were hurting and did what he could for the people he came into contact with to help them and lift them up. Question. Read Isaiah's prophecy in Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21. In what ways do Isaiah and Matthew identify what Jesus was doing as something larger than healing a few or even a hundred sick people? Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will any one hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 406, Every miracle that Christ performed was a sign of his divinity. He was doing the very work that had been foretold of the Messiah. But to the Pharisees, these works of mercy were a positive offence. The Jewish leaders looked with heartless indifference on human suffering. In many cases, their selfishness and oppression had caused the affliction that Christ relieved. Thus, his miracles were to them a reproach. So to finish today, Jesus' healing miracles were acts of compassion and justice, but in all cases they were not an end in and of themselves. Ultimately, all that Christ did was for the purpose of leading people to eternal life, as we see in John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Wednesday, August 14, Clearing the Temple When we read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, we're often attracted to the gentle images of Jesus, his care for the sick and for children, his stories of searching for the lost, and his talk about the kingdom of God. This might be why other stories in which we see him acting forcefully and bluntly, particularly against the religious leaders of his day and some of their practices, can take us by surprise. Question. Read Matthew chapter 21, 12 through 16, Mark 11, 15 through 19, Luke 19, 45 through 48, and John 2, 13 to 17. What is the significance of the fact that these similar stories are told in every one of the gospel accounts? First of all, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? And Mark chapter 11 verses 15 to 19. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city." And Luke 19, beginning at verse 45, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything for all the people that were very attentive to hear him. And John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who served, who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. It is hardly surprising that this incident 
is included in each of the Gospels. It is a story filled with drama, action and passion. Jesus was obviously concerned about the use of the temple in this way and about the replacement of true worship with the sale of sacrificial animals. What a desecration of all that those sacrifices were to represent, which was his substitutionary death for the sins of the world. Such direct action fits well in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets. This point is suggested in each of the Gospel accounts by either Jesus or the Gospel writers quoting from Isaiah, Jeremiah or Psalms to explain what was happening in this story. The people recognized Jesus as a prophet, as we read in Matthew 21, verse 11. So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee, and came to him as he healed and taught in the temple court after he had driven out the merchants and money changers. It was the people who found healing in his touch and hope growing in their hearts as they listened to his teaching. The religious leaders also recognized Jesus as a prophet, as someone who was dangerous to their power and the stability of their social order, and went away to plot to kill Jesus, in the same way as their predecessors had plotted against the prophets in previous centuries, as we read in Luke 19, verses 47 and 48. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And so to finish today, as local church members, how can we do our part to make sure that our local churches never become places that need what the temple needed in Christ's day? How can we avoid those spiritual dangers? What might some of them be, in fact? Thursday, August 15, The Cross of Christ That God is a God who sees and hears the cries of the poor and oppressed is comforting. That God is a God who, in Jesus, has experienced and endured the worst of our world's inhumanity, oppression and injustice, is astounding. Despite all the compassion and goodness Jesus demonstrated in his life and ministry, his death came as a result of hatred, jealousy and injustice. From Jesus' anguished prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane to his arrest, trials, torture, mocking, crucifixion and death, he endured a gruelling ordeal of pain, cruelty, evil and oppressive power. All of this was exacerbated by the innocence, purity and goodness of the one who suffered it. As we read in Philippians 2, 7-8, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
through the lens of salvation's story, we see the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But we should not forget the brutality of the suffering and injustice he experienced. Question. Read Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. What does this tell us about what happened to Jesus, the innocent suffering for the guilty? How does this help us understand what he went through on our behalf? Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Jesus, God knows what it feels like to be a victim of evil and injustice. The execution of an innocent man is an outrage, the murder of God more so. God has so identified himself with us in our broken and fallen condition that we cannot doubt his empathy, compassion and faithfulness. For, as it says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What a revelation of the character of God! How do we even begin to wrap our minds around the good news about God that the cross represents? And so to finish the day, in all that we do for the Lord, especially in reaching out to the needy, why must we always keep the death of Jesus as our substitute, not just for ourselves, but for those whom we help at the centre of our mission and purpose? Friday, August 16. From The Great Controversy, page 539 and 540, we read, God has given in his word decisive evidence that he will punish the transgressors of his law, those who flatter themselves that he is too merciful to execute justice upon the sinner, have only to look to the cross of Calvary. The death of the spotless Son of God testifies that the wages of sin is death, that every violation of God's law must receive its just retribution. Christ, the sinless, became sin for man. He bore the guilt of transgression and the hiding of his Father's face until his heart was broken and his life crushed out. All this sacrifice was made that sinners might be redeemed. 
In no other way could man be freed from the penalty of sin. And every soul that refuses to become a partaker of the atonement provided at such a cost must bear in his own person the guilt and punishment of transgression. And that brings us to our Three questions for this week. Our three discussion questions. One, read the Ellen White statement above. Talk about the reality of injustice. Christ, the innocent, suffering the penalty of the guilty. Why is it so important to keep this crucial truth before us? Two, Jesus never advocated political reform in order to bring about the kind of kingdom he referred to. After all, history is filled with very sad stories of people who used violence and oppression all in the name of helping the downtrodden and the oppressed. So often, all that had been accomplished was the replacement of one oppressive class with another one. Though Christians can and should work with the powers that be in order to try to help the downtrodden, Why must they always be wary of using politics to achieve these ends? 3. Think about what the plan of salvation entailed. Jesus, the just, suffering for the unjust, which means each one of us. Why should this great sacrifice in our behalf make us new people in Christ? And to summarize this week's lesson... In the Gospels, Jesus' ministry is introduced and explained with reference to the work of the Old Testament prophets. Good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed, and healing for the broken were proclaimed as markers of the Messiah, and something Jesus demonstrated throughout his ministry. Yet, in his death, he also suffered the brunt of injustice and ultimately overcome the worst of fallen humanity and inhumanity. Thanks to his unjust death in our behalf, our sins can be forgiven, and we have the promise of eternal life. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Fired for the Sabbath and it's by Aurora Carlos Justino. I grew up in Nampula, Mozambique's third largest city where 80% of the population is Muslim. I didn't feel comfortable with the faith of my mother who got divorced when I was small. Something in my mind kept telling me that I should examine Christianity to find peace in my heart. One day I told my mother about my desire. Mommy, I want to be a Christian. My mother said, If you want to be a Christian, don't call me Mommy anymore. You will no longer be my daughter. Her words frightened me. I stopped going to her place of worship. I didn't go to any place of worship. I wanted to see how Mother would react. When Mother saw that I wasn't worshipping at all, she said, Fine, you can go look for a Christian church. I was so happy, but I didn't immediately start looking for a church because I was drinking and going to parties. One day, a young man approached me on the street. Do you know that God loves you? he asked. Yes, I said. 
You must leave all your sins, he said. Those words bothered me. The man introduced himself as Amundo and invited me to his church nearby. After we parted ways, however, I couldn't remember the name of the church. A month later, I looked around the neighbourhood and learned that the only local church was Seventh-day Adventist. The pastor of the church, Eleuterio Mirage, didn't know Armando, but he offered me Bible studies. Three months later, I was baptised. Life became difficult immediately. The restaurant where I worked scheduled me to work on Saturday, and I thought, if I don't work on Sabbath, then I won't have any work. If I don't have a job, how will my mother and younger sister survive, because I am the only one taking care of them? After spending a month wondering what to do, I read Jesus' promise in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I quit my job. My mother was upset initially, but God has provided. One of my three older brothers has stepped in to support my mother and sister. But what has impressed me the most is how drastically my thinking has changed. I have a peace that I never had before. I thank my Lord for changing my life. I am now 22, and I haven't been able to find a full-time job. But, by God's grace... I have led four people to baptism during the last year. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.